pray that you would meet us here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to gather in your name, God. And we pray that you would meet us here this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Youth, you guys are dismissed to meet your leaders over at the left-hand door to your time of teaching. Have a great, uh, great Sunday. Good morning, Discovery. My name is Paul. I'm on staff here if you're visiting with us. Thank you. Um, if you're visiting with us, uh, we are in our third week of our series, Christmas of Compassion. Uh, you may be thinking to yourself, that is not a normal Christmas season series. Um, but here in Discovery, we believe that our God is a God of compassion. In Exodus 34, verse 6, um, God describes himself for the first time in words, and the first word he uses is compassionate. We believe that compassion is the emotion of the gospel. And we believe that the story of Christmas is one of the most compassionate stories you can know and tell. See, God put skin and bone on, and he came to earth as Jesus, and he went to the cross and died for us while we were still sinners. In our first week, John defined compassion as um, feeling a deep feeling of pity for the misfortune or sufferings of others. I want to change that just a little bit into my own words for the morning. When I talk about compassion, what I'm talking about is when our hearts break for the misfortunes or sufferings of others. And then last week, with all of our kids in here, John challenged us to be people who see the needs around us, who feel compassion for the people who have those needs, and who act. And this morning, we're going to be talking about action. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to us as individuals um, and as your church. God, I pray that, that I would decrease and that, that you would increase, Lord. I pray that you would ignite a movement of compassion among our people, in myself, and in the city. Amen. So many of you remember the Haiti earthquake six years ago. It was a tr an atrocity that you know, devastated the nation of Haiti. 230,000 Haitian people lost their lives. 1.5 million people were displaced from their homes. And this morning, I want to care. I want to. Um, I want to compare two different responses, two different actions that were taken. I'll refer to the first action as couple A, and the second is person B. See, couple A was struck by the devastation. They felt an immense and deep pain for the people of Haiti. They spent every moment they had watching the news, seeing the buildings collapse, the people just in, in utter devastation. They shed tears. But person B, when he felt that same heartbreak, when he felt that same pain, he got on a plane the next day. He landed in Haiti, and he began to save people's lives. But see, person B didn't just stop there. For the next six years, up until the day, person B has continued to make an impact in Haiti. 
he recruits the world's most renowned doctors, and he sends, it down to the one sends them down to the one state hospital to train the staff there. And when he can, he gets his hands on medical equipment that they don't have there and sends it with those doctors to train the staff. See, I think that if I were to pull you this morning, all of us would say we would like to be person B. If you haven't figured it out, my wife and I are couple A. My father-in-law is person B. He is a man of extravagant compassion. He sees needs, he allows his heart to break, and then he acts on it. And there's something incredibly attractive about that. I think if you take a moment right now to think about compassion, something will resonate deep inside of you, deep inside of you at that gut level that John talked about two weeks ago, in the heart. I believe that's because we are made in the image of our God, who is a compassionate God, who came to earth as Jesus and lived an exemplary life of extravagant compassion. So this morning we're going to turn to Mark 1. We're just going to look at one example of that. If you need a Bible or if you would like a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hands. Our ushers will bring you one. Um, we will be on page 714. So Jesus is preaching in Galilee and casting out demons when a, a man with leprosy approaches him. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. See, I love this example of Christ's compassion. Leprosy is a disease that infects the skin, a disease that they didn't know much about in the time of Christ, and so those people were usually cast out. And when this man comes to Jesus, it's tell, Mark tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. But see, we wouldn't be reading this story if Jesus was only moved with the feeling of compassion. See, Jesus knew that compassion will always require action. If Jesus had just felt for this man, like my wife and I had just felt for the Haitian people, this story wouldn't be told. But see, my father-in-law is a man who shows extravagant compassion, just like his Savior shows extravagant compassion. While my wife and I were glued to a TV screen in our apartment, he was saving lives. When the Red Cross text came asking for $10, we didn't give anything. We watched the same news programs over and over and didn't take a moment to pray. As we 
began to process what was going on, we, my wife had this realization. She realized that compassion without action is worthless. See, we sat in our apartments and we felt good about ourselves for feeling bad for the Haitian people. We numbed the pain that we were feeling for the Haitians by feeling good about ourselves. So that, that day, we decided we did not want to give ourselves credit for just feeling compassion if we never took action on that feeling. I think we can all agree that we want to act on the compassion, right? We want to be person B. We want to be my father-in-law who will do the uncomfortable. But how come so often we don't act on it? I personally have acted on compassion enough times to know that the reason I don't act is because of the things that I'm afraid it will cost me. I'm afraid that it will cost me my time. I won't get to watch the TV show I want in the evening or go for a run. I'm afraid that it will cost me my money. I'm afraid that it might cost me friendships or respect. And I'm afraid it'll make me uncomfortable. But see, what I've learned is that anytime we feel compassion, to act on it, it will cost us something. Jesus tells us that in Mark 8, 34 and 35. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. See, as Christians, we come here this morning proclaiming that we want to follow Christ. And what Christ says is that that means we must pick up our cross. The cross is the greatest symbol of compassion that I can think of. He says, when you take up that cross, you will be asked to deny yourself. And when you deny yourself, you'll lose part of your life. But in losing that part of your life, you will also save your life. And see, I don't know what it means to save my life just based on this verse. But I believe that I want to save my life. And so whatever I must give, whatever part of my life I must lose, I believe it's worth it. I believe it's better. In Luke 6, chapter 32, or Luke 6, verse 32, chapter 38. Jesus tells us what it looks like to lose our life in a way that saves it. He says, if you love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? 
Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good for those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High God. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down shaking together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount, you, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. See, these are examples of what it looks like to deny yourself, to lose your life in order to save it. See, I think that oftentimes our fear of what we might lose or what it might cost us to deny ourselves is that it'll cost us happiness or fulfillment because maybe I won't have as big a house. Or maybe I won't have as many friends as I would like. Or the perfect spouse. <laughs> maybe I won't get that workout in. But see, what Jesus says is that when we give of ourselves, he will give back to us. When we deny ourselves, he will give us more in return. See, extravagant compassion must include action. It's going to cost you something. And it will always be worth it. So how do we begin to show extravagant compassion? For me, I believe we must start to ask, start by asking, what breaks your heart? Who do you feel compassion for? What makes you tear up? For some of you this morning, nothing might, there might not be anything that pops into your mind. And that's okay, that's a great place to be, actually. And I promise I will come back to you and answer that question. But for me, two things pop into my mind. I grew up in this town, a town that is clean, it has nice house cars. We, before the drought, we had manicured, nicely manicured lawns. We drive nice cars, we value education, safety, and community. Life looks good from the outside. But growing up here, I got to see a different Davis. Because when I went to my friend's house and the door closed behind us, the reality you see in downtown and in the parks looks totally different than the reality in private. See, it looks a lot like the rest of the world. Affairs and divorce, addiction and depression, despair. And that breaks my heart because I know how those people can find healing. 
is not more money. It's not more power or more respect. It's not being more tied to the community. It's Jesus. And the second thing my heart breaks for is for kids. Kids who experience the most extreme forms of abuse. So extreme they get moved, removed from their homes. And you know where those kids go? They go to an office where a social worker puts out a call. And the call goes something like this. Hello, Yolo County foster parents. My name is Amalia. I have a sibling set of a three-year-old and a six-year-old brother and sister. We don't know much about them. Call back if you're interested. And then those kids sit in the office with someone they've never met before a few hours ago, and they wait. And they wait, hoping that someone will say, I want you. I love you. You're worthy of love. And all too often, their worst fears are confirmed, that no one wants them, that there isn't a family for them to go to. That breaks my heart. You see, my wife and I have been licensed Yolo County foster parents now for almost two years. We've had almost 10 different placements, somewhere around there. And as I thought back about it this week, I can't remember a time that I couldn't count the things that I knew I was going to lose on both hands and both feet. See, there's about a call a week that goes out in this community. We've only said yes 10 times. But those 10 times, God has given back to me more than I could have ever asked or imagined. And I wanted to share three of those t stories with you. The first call we ever took, it was for a three-year-old and a four-year-old sister. They had a brother in high school, and my in-laws do foster care also. And the brother was going with them, and we walked into the office, and I knew the brother. I didn't know him well, I just knew his name and enough to say hi, but you could see his body physically relax. I'm going to be okay. My sisters are going to be okay. The reason I tell you this story is because their aunt is the person in this city that at that time my wife and I were praying for most. And that night we got to call her. We got to call her and say, hey, your nieces and nephew are okay. They're coming home with us. Want to come see them? Our second placement was a sibling set of a three-year-old girl, six-year-old brother. One night, my wife was putting him to bed, and she asked if she could pray for him. I said, we don't know what prayer is. And so my wife asked, do you know who God is? And they said, yeah, we know God from the movies. And I said, great, prayer is just talking to God. And those kids loved praying. You see, they prayed at bath time. They prayed at dinner time. They prayed on the car to and from visits. They prayed before bed. They prayed in the morning. 
And when every time they prayed, you could see their little bodies relax. And then that Sunday, we got to bring them to Discovery, and they heard about Jesus, and they believed. And I kid you not, these kids would go to bed, and they would say, they would thank God for the house that they were in, the safety that they were experiencing, and then they would pray for their parents to get healthy. They were three and six. It's probably one of the greatest honors of my life to have them come through my home. And our last placement was a 17-year-old girl. And when the social worker opened the door to see us, and she probably thought, is this her best friends, right? We don't look much older than a 17-year-old. What could we offer her besides a roof? The reality is she didn't want a roof. She had just been picked up by the police after having run away. The, door, the room that she was staying in has a sliding glass door. She could have left at any moment. But then I, that night, my wife prayed and asked God, what can we give her? My wife believed that she needed an advocate and someone to believe the best. And so that's what we did. I spent the next three days from probably about 9 a.m. to lunchtime chasing down social worker after social worker, trying to find someone who would just go to her last foster care house and get her things. And we believed that she was capable. And that girl graduated high school with us. She recommitted in her faith with us. See, we've given up weekends away, sleep, and every single time we want to say no because it feels like it's going to cost too much. And too often we have. That's the truth. But when one of us, my wife or I, has a moment where we believe it's worth it, we're always just full of joy that we did it. It's not about foster care, though. There are people in this church, they come here every Sunday, that are extravagantly compassionate. They show more compassion than I could ever dream of showing. One of them is Kayla Kenneshaw. See, her heart breaks for the racial injustices that... that still exists in our country, in our world, and even in our own backyard. And she took a step. She joined an organization called WURJ, Whites United for Racial Justice. She's a woman of extravagant compassion. My mom who comes here is a woman of extravagant compassion. When I was in elementary school, she saw a need at my school. They needed someone to teach a little, a young Latino boy who had some learning disabilities and didn't really speak English at the time to read. And she said, I'll volunteer my time to do that. And what she found was by taking that step 
of meeting that need, and that there was a whole another community that had those same needs, and it broke her heart. And so what started with teaching one little boy to read a couple of hours a week transformed into a nonprofit that served 10, and then it served 500. A mom of two elementary school boys went back and got her bachelor's degree. She got two masters and is working on her PhD. That nonprofit is the Davis Bridge. We're a part of that organization and we didn't even attend Discovery when you guys gave backpacks to those kids. If you don't know what breaks your heart, it's not too late. You might be in a better place to meet a need. See, if right now you don't know what breaks your heart, what I would tell you is to pray to ask God to break your heart, to ask God to fill you with compassion, to reveal the needs that you see each and every day around you. And when you see a need that sticks out to you, take a step of action. See, what my wife and I have learned over the years is that when you learn someone's story, everything changes. Your heart will break. But you will never earn the right to hear someone's story if you never act on a need that they have. You see, whether you know what breaks your heart right now and you're too afraid of what it will cost you to act, or you don't know what breaks your heart, you also don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to feel compassion and to act on it. See, I would not be in ministry or at discovery if I didn't begin to take a small step of action for my heart that broke for the people that I grew up with. None of those kids would have ever come through my home if my wife and I wouldn't have gotten licensed as Yolo County foster parents. My mom would not have started the bridge if she had never met the Mead the need of a small young boy who needed to learn to read. Back to Haiti, my father-in-law would not have saved the lives of Haitian people and continue to impact the healthcare in Haiti to this day if he hadn't acted on the compassion he felt. In Discovery, our vision is to meet people where they are. We will meet people where they are 
by acting on the compassion that we feel. It goes on and it says, to reach this city. This city will never be reached if the compassion of Jesus isn't displayed in his church. And we have a huge goal of somehow changing the world through a small little university town and an even smaller church. But the world will be changed by God's compassion for his people. Take a minute and imagine with me. What if instead of kids waiting in an office for a home, we had homes waiting for kids? What if we created a place for people who would never come to church normally to feel comfortable in church? But we didn't stop there. We then invited those people. What if, as individuals and as a corporate body, we truly grasped the heart of the gospel? Can you imagine how different this city could look, this church could look, if we acted on the compassion that we felt? I believe that extravagant compassion requires action. People who show extravagant compassion know that it will cost them something, but they, always, they also know that it will always be worth it. And if we have a church of people who know that and who act on that, I believe that we will experience a movement of God and I can't think of any place I'd rather be. Father, God, I thank you for the compassion you show me each and every day. God, I thank you for the people in my life who are extravagantly compassionate. God, I thank you that there are people in my life that know that compassion requires action. God, would you please raise up a church, raise up a group of people who act on the compassion that you put in their hearts. God, would you please help us to see the needs that we overlook every day. God, would you break our hearts for those needs? Would you fill us compassion with compassion for those needs. 
God, in this Christmas season, would you begin to lead us to take the steps of action that you are calling us to?